It's just around 
Yes, Advent is just around the corner. Hope you enjoyed that music video from the one and only Father Patrick Masang, who also just, I think, somewhere just last week celebrated his birthday. So, Father Patrick, if you're watching this, uh, belated happy birthday to you. And thank you for doing the social distancing while uh, filming that video. <laughs> Looks like you're following the SOPs right there. Okay, so good morning, everyone. Welcome to another live show on Catholics at Home in collaboration with the Catholic Research Center of Kuala Lumpur. And also, I think we're also streaming live on ArchKL. So thank you very much, ArchKL. Now, the joy of love experienced by families is also the joy of the church. Those are the words that Pope Francis used to begin his apostolic exhortation, Amoris Laetitia, or the joy of love. That it was in 2016, in the Year of Mercy. And four years on, there is still a call or demand by the lay faithful for a clearer understanding. And so we will focus today's show about love, marriage and family uh, based on Amoris Laetitia and see if we can have a firmer hold on what the Holy Father is trying to tell us. To help us go through this challenging topic, uh, we have a special guest from the Philippines. Uh, before I bring him on, first of all, I'd just like to welcome everyone who's uh, just logging on, clicking into our uh, podcast on Facebook or YouTube. You know, we like to know uh, who's watching us and where you're watching us from. So uh, there's a comment box below. So just why don't we just type in uh, where you're from, uh, maybe which parish uh, you're from. You know, we certainly like to know that and we'd like to say uh, hello to you. So just do that and uh, let us know, all right? Don't forget, it's going to be a, a very important topic. You know, this topic is also especially uh, very helpful for those serving in the Ministry of Family or maybe the uh, marriage preparation course, uh, what's it called? CMPC, yeah, uh, the Catholic Marriage Preparation Course, CMPC. So this will be very helpful for a lot of people, uh, if not all of you. So just share this link out, you know, start a watch party on your Facebook, you know, and let people know what we're going to talk about. It's going to be very, very important, and I'm sure it's going to be very useful to you. All right, so... Um, also, yes, we'd like to thank ArchKL and uh, don't forget uh, to subscribe to our YouTube channel for all the uh, latest videos and to know what's going on with Catholics at Home as we uh, bring you uh, topics relating to the faith. All right. And 14th of November, happy Deepavali. You know, Father Patrick was walking around the trees and singing. I almost thought he was going to do a dance and rain is going to fall or something. Anyway, and uh, before I bring on my still guest today, uh, please say hello to my co-host and the director of the Catholic Research Center in Kuala Lumpur, Father Clarence Devadas. Good morning, Father Clarence. Good morning, Kevin. <laughs> Happy Deepavali. Uh, Happy Deepavali. I don't suppose you have a tub of burku under your, your desk there? Uh, no, like Kevin. I mean, I had one, but yeah, but I gave it away. Not much of a... <laughs> Much well, mine, is, mine is stocked up. <laughs> <laughs> if, I start, if I suddenly go quiet, you know, um, it's crunch time for me. You know, you just carry on with the show. <laughs> I think that's why we Malaysians, we celebrate all the festivities because of the, the snacks that come along with it. Yeah. And, and every reason for a, for a muruku, for, a, for a, yeah, some sort of something, the, yeah. The sweet candy and everything. And, you know, um, you know, today is also World Diabetes Day. <laughs> so how, how, do you, how do you navigate that? <laughs> <laughs> well, after eating that, that tub of muruku, I think you better go for a walk somewhere. Take a long walk today and burn a off all those drinks. A walk won't do it. I think I have to run. <laughs> 
All right, Father, let's just uh, set the table a little bit here. Uh, one of the reasons why we chose this topic is because uh, the Holy Father was in the spotlight again for his teaching on Amoris Letizia. And I think his recent comments was in a documentary, uh, which has got the media, uh, I don't know, misquoting, misrepresenting uh, what actually he meant. Uh, so that's why we've uh, titled the show as uh, Clearing the Air. Not to be confused with clearing the eye, you know, Malaysians will get it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, we're not just going to focus on what the uh, the issue or the drama, but also, you know, it's a good time to, you know, really talk about love, marriage and family, you know, and get the whole picture of what it actually is, right? Yeah, I think, I think it's very important because, you know, things change very quickly. Uh, I mean, well, when we grew up, I mean, the family... You know, was I mean, though the, the family unit is still the same, you know, but the external circumstances are, are quite different, you know, from mm. what it was before, what it is today, and what it will become. I mean, uh, in in the future. But sometimes it's just nice to to revisit the fundamentals of of love, of marriage, of family life, uh, which are eternal. And I think that's yeah. that's that's the beauty of, of of it all. Though you know, circumstances change expressions change but what is essential uh, i guess must not change in, in that way yep and it's great that we have a special guest on the show today uh just before we bring him on just like to tell the viewers if you have any uh, questions or comments you can type it in the comment box and when we have time uh, a little later on uh, we'll bring those questions up to father clarence and also our special guest today who is a priest a medical doctor and a moral theologian based in the philippines uh, he's born in Glasgow, Scotland, and I think he too celebrated his birthday just about 10 days ago. He's making his debut on Catholics at Home. Please welcome Father James McTavish. Good morning to everybody. Hi, Hi Father Clarence. Hi, James. Good morning. I think, Father James, uh, I can wish you Magandang Umaga. Am I saying that right? Well, very good. Perfect. 10 out of 10 <laughs> for your Filipino. Kumain kanabaang agahan mo. So, Father, Father James, uh, you've been in the uh, Philippines for how many years now? Uh, around 17 years. Wow, wow. That's a long time. In and two of course, slots, five years in the south, mm -hmm. and then 12 years more or less here in Manila. And I've been mm. to Malaysia a good few times. And I even ate those snacks that you showed, but I don't know the name, but I ate them. <laughs> we'll send you some. It's called Muruku. <laughs> and uh, Father James, uh, of course, in the past couple of weeks, uh, we've heard about uh, storms and maybe typhoons hitting the Philippines. Uh, how are you guys coping? Are you badly affected over there? Some places are, yes. The no, here in Manila also, the typhoon swept through. It's quite a broad land-based typhoon that when it passed through, it hit Manila also. Some neighboring like town, Marikina, is flooded. Uh, it's a perpetual issue um, which really causes a lot of devastation. I think we also have to take a bit more seriously prevention if we can, not only reacting after the typhoon. But it's difficult because the scale of the flooding is immense and some places in philippines have really been affected so we have to pray for the victims yeah yeah certainly our, our prayers are with, with you and everyone in the philippines and of course uh, just before we get into our topic uh, father james you're born in glasgow 
I don't know whether you know that uh, Father Clarence, um, Mark and I, we're all football fans, got to know Glasgow, Celtic or Rangers? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's Celtic, I mean. It's Catholic. Oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, traditional. The things are changing. I think we're more happy in Glasgow that Scotland just qualified for a major yeah. football tournament for the first time in more than twenty years. So, yeah, exactly. James, tell us a little bit. I mean, you know, when when people heard that you were coming on the show, some of them asked me, you know, quite a career change uh, from being a medical doctor, uh, choosing then choosing what. In a nutshell, what made you change career path? Did you have a St. Paul's experience? Well, I two things to that. Um, the Lord, in John's Gospel, the Lord says, you did not choose me, I chose you. So I think it's really the call of the Lord. But when it comes to change, I don't know if it's really a change. When the Lord called Peter, who was a fisherman, he said, I'll make you a fisher of men. So I don't know if I would consider that a career change or a deepening in what he was already doing. So as a doctor, of course, you're interested in the health of the person. You're interested that they can live life to the full. And I think as a priest, that same desire is there, that same career is there, that you want people to enjoy this short life and to live it to the full. So I'd say not so much of a change, but a deepening. So do you get, for example, somebody coming to you and said, Father, I have a headache, so what do I do? So you have both. You have a spiritual you have a spiritual medicine and then you also have, you know, on the other side, you prescribe that here, take two paracetamols also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always, I mean, in the mission, I live with other missionaries, um, there's always different health problems. Of course, I finished my medicine in 1992 and I practiced till 1999. So sometimes I just remind them that, what I learned is from the last millennium. So this always makes them cautious. But there's some principles that never change. And there's some nice interactions between medicine and ethics. For example, medical ethics. It's not only medicine, it's not only ethical, but it's both. So I give thanks to God for the previous experience I had. But if I have, if anyone wants an operation or anything like that, better to go to the real doctors. <laughs> <laughs> Father James and I, we go back. I think we went to the same uh, university uh, mm. in Rome. Uh, wow. We mm. met several times on different conferences. Uh, yeah, so we have had some interesting conversations uh, abroad. And also here in Malaysia, he has come to visit us in Malaysia a couple of times. Yeah. Yes. And uh, Father Clarence, I'm sure uh, Father James' story is, is very interesting. We should have him back again for an all access. Uh, that's yeah. when we do a personal vocation story on our, our fellow priests. So maybe we'll have Father James back on another show, uh, an all access with Father James. Great. <laughs> all right. I'd uh, just like to say hello to uh, all those uh, watching us. You know, we've got Ellen and Neville. Uh, and many more just logging in and joining us. Don't forget, if you have any questions or comment, type it in the comment box and uh, we'll try and address them a little later on the show. Now, uh, let's begin. In one of the paragraphs of the, the Holy Father says, I thank God that many families, which are far from considering themselves perfect, live in love, fulfilling their calling and keep moving forward, even if they fall many times along the way. So maybe you can begin with uh, what does Amoris Letizia say about family life, Father James? Yeah, I think it's nice. Thank you for sharing that quote, Kevin, because sometimes when we think of family, it's all uh, disaster, bad news, woe here, woe there, and we become a little bit discouraged. 
But one nice thing about Pope Francis's attitude and many of the parts of Amoris Laetitia is it presents the ideal of the family, something that we can all aspire to. And it's realistic, like when it talks about family life, really how beautiful the family. We all have a wonderful many, even if we had some challenging moments, many of us have a very good experience of family. If I'm a missionary today, it's largely a fruit of the love I received in my family that I want to share to others. So I like Pope Francis's general points in Amoris Laetitia, being very positive about the family, being upbeat. Let's not lose that hope in the family. And also not being naive, knowing that there are challenges, but not just starting from the challenges, but starting from the reality of God's love. He loves us and he wants us to enjoy the experience of family. What a clearance? No, uh, I think, you know, Amoris Letizia came at a very appropriate time, you know, at a time when people were, I mean, I mean, the media and a lot of other you know, uh, organizations. I think we try to to reinvent or redefine what is family all about. I think Pope Francis puts it in the right context uh, with Amoris Letizia. And, and like like what Father James said, you know, yes, there's the ideal, uh, but you know, the ideal is also uh, riddled with many other challenges. Uh, so we may not be the ideal family, but it doesn't mean that you know we cannot strive for it. You know, I, I just want to share this, you know, when, when, when you're growing up, uh, when you watch TV, I don't know whether many of you would have watched, there are a lot of these family shows. I think some of you will remember things like Little House on the Prairie. Uh, yeah. Some of you will remember uh, The Waltons, you know. Mm. Uh, these were the families yeah. that, that, we, that we watched and, you know, oh, this is all perfect family. Sometimes you wonder, why isn't my family like that? Uh, uh, so maybe you know by saying the, the the TV programs, I think most people know that I come from another generation. I don't know what what family programs today people watch, but but the reality is that yes, there are the joys of family life, but not negating that there are challenges also. Uh, and then I think that's the beauty of, of Pope Francis. He recognizes the situation. He recognizes the challenges, like what the quote that you said. Yeah, you know, I mean. Sometimes I, I I always struggle the fact that you know on the feast of the Holy Family you know to sometimes we, we want to project a perfect Holy Family of, of Jesus Mary and Joseph, uh, but I'm sure there were struggles too, uh, there were difficulties too, uh, for them uh, the challenges of having to move, uh, the challenges of, of being under threat, yeah. So I think the context is beautiful about you know that yes we are called to strive but not negating the fact that sometimes we fail, we fall along the way. And the both of you mentioned challenges and for each family, the challenge is different. You know, is that what uh, Pope Francis was trying to get through that, you know, giving some, not say leeway, but for the discretion to to pastoral advice, to, to see the individual or to see the, fam the individual families challenged and to see how we can uh, advise and, and heal and make it better. Yes, I think one thing that the Pope Francis was responding to, remember that he is writing in the context of the church teaching, the church tradition. It's like a river that's already flowing. So he's writing within that context. And one critique, which I think is valid, is that sometimes the church teaching on the family is too ideal. 
it's too perfect. Sometimes they say, oh, it's just written by priests in Rome who don't even have a family. Sometimes that critique is, is true and it's healthy to listen to critiques. So I think when Pope Francis is writing Amoris Laetitia, you can really see, for example, he says expressions like, no family drops down from heaven perfectly formed. I mean, this is a beautiful reality. He's not sugarcoating the, the heavenly teaching of the family so much that, for example, a mom or a dad, I can see some moms and dads in the chat that we have here. Uh, Sheena, Marie, my good friends in uh, Malaysia and others, no? They are, uh, they are in the family context. Some of them have children bringing up families. I think when they listen to Pope Francis, they can really connect and it resonates because it's realistic. And I think that's important that um, really the church teaching is presented, as we mentioned, ideal, but it also really has to be realistic. So how do we see the faith of God in all these challenges when, you know, it, it seems very uh, uh, demanding on, on the families um, for the husband and wife especially? When I was um, yeah, reflecting on that question, I think God's presence in the family, it's within each person in the family. It's within the mother, it's in the father, it's in the children. Remember that we have this image of domestic church. This image of domestic church is coming from way back in early Christian times that the, the church is not just the building. The church is not just my parish. Uh, you and I, we are the church. I think this is a very common misconception. What is the church doing? What it, we are the church. We are the church. The church is not primarily a building. It's a people of God. So God's presence is in the heart of every believer. And in a specific way, the church teaching, and Pope Francis will underline that, that in the sacrament of marriage, God is present in a special way. And it's very nice because there's so many practical details in the Morris Laetitia. For example, that God is present in the recreation. God is present in the different moments of the family day. God is also present in sexuality. God is present in all those facets of family life in a real, alive and kicking, present way. And he's not just present in the like holy, holy activities. Of course, he's there also. But he's present in the everyday moments of the family. I guess that's, that, is, that is the challenge. Uh, the challenge is to be able to, to recognize and to see God in the, in the ordinary things. Uh, often people look for God in, in the extraordinary things, you know, like what Father James said. You know, in in a, in a church, I mean, I'm not negating. I mean, both of us have, will say that you know, I'm not negating that God is, yeah. You 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 feel the the presence of God in a holy place, but you also feel God in in the ordinary, and then that's what transforms life, I believe. And you begin to see and recognize God in one another uh, within the context of the family, uh, husband, wife, children, and I think the Asian context is that there's always an extended family. You know, it's that's that's the that, that's the uniqueness of the Asian family. When you talk about family, you know, somehow everybody is connected. You know, I, I'm sure Kevin. You know, when you got married to your wife, you know, your wife's relations now become your relations, uh, and if if they are, if they got married and their relations now become your relations, and everybody is like somehow related. I probably think it's the same in the Philippines uh, for the James that somehow yeah. you know there is an an extended family. So the, the the domestic family actually can be quite big. Uh, from an Asian yeah. perspective, 
uh, it is not just the nuclear family that you know that, that immediate family, but everybody becomes you know. Uh, so you know, even for me as a priest, you know, suddenly you know when I go to see my oh father, uh, I'm related to you. I haven't a clue how that happens, but you know, <laughs> but you know how this this connection works. But that that's the beauty of 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 the Asian family, I believe. You know that extension. You know that everybody cares for one another, uh, and that's that's the the vibrant or the vibrant church, I believe. But but one thing, um, you know, I think we we can agree that. Uh, marriages don't last as long as they used to, you know. Uh, that's the kind of the new culture that's uh, creeping up on us today. Uh, maybe we can start off, uh, Father James. Why is uh, marriage indissoluble? <laughs> why is it indissoluble? Because that's the way God intended it. That love is eternal. That His love, especially in the sacrament, is enough to bind the couple together. When I sometimes ask my dad. And it's not that I have to ask him too often, but I asked him about marriage. He he would say that God's love is the glue that holds my mom and dad together. So I found that an interesting understanding. And in the Philippines, we have a glue that's called Mighty Bond. So it's marketed as Mighty Bond glue. And it made me think once when I was on my way to celebrate a wedding, kind of came to me that God's love is the almighty bond. So that's what it's called to be. The love of God is called to be an almighty bond that binds us together. It's not a kind of bond that just easily breaks or is just can be easily like used, abused, thrown away. But it's something that's meant to endure. For Clarence, you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kevin, you should you should share. I mean, you are you are you are married, you know. What keeps you together? I mean, let's let's turn the tables around on Kevin. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, two priests against one, two against one. Good idea. <laughs> this is not fair. For a lot of, I mean, for the for, for the James and I, I mean, yeah, I mean, we we of course, I mean, we we have come from families. I mean, and 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 we meet families. But Kevin, you, I mean, you are. What keeps you together? What what is it that? How do you see God in 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 your relationship with your wife? Well, you know, Father Clarence, uh, just last week uh, we had the show. I mean, we were not on, but a uh, uh, great, great job from uh, our new host, Jonathan Poon, and also uh, Father Michael Chua talking about uh, saints, you know, was doing a show on all saints. And, uh, you know, I suppose um, uh, being being married, uh, my wife my wife can just go past purgatory. <laughs> being married to me, she, she doesn't have to, <laughs> to spend any time in purgatory and is the fastest way to sainthood. <laughs> <laughs> I know, just kidding about that. But uh, I think, like, uh, on a serious note, uh, Father Clarence, uh, what keeps us going? And I remember a priest once uh, uh, saying to me that, you know, um, for a couple being married, uh, the the goal is to outdo each other in love. And uh, something which 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 I I learned quite late as well is that you know it's today it's all about what is it in for me. You know, what is it for me? And uh, where else uh, the Catholic perspective of marriage is, is what can I give? And so when, whenever I'm in a selfish mode, I mean, you know, uh, all of us uh, can be at some times, you know, the individualistic mindset breaks in. And I try to, to think of, you know, how can I, I give rather than receive? You know, sometimes when things don't go my way, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not just about me. And, you know, as we know, couple is one so it's difficult of course not very easy um, but that's why i 
you know, I guess marriage tends to break up quite easily. And that's why I asked uh, Father James, you know, why is it dissolvable? You know, when you say God is the glue, but in the difficult times, you know, that glue just doesn't seem to be sticking. And, you know, uh, for younger couples, uh, you know, who might not be so, so, so strong in that bond that you talked about, it's easier to just leave and, you know, uh, both, both sides are, to them, it's happy. They are more happier when they're not clashing with each other all the time, you know. Uh, so that might make sense to the the new generation or the younger people, you know. But how do you bring that back to, you know, that's not the way out. There's another way out, which is the faith. And how do we teach them that? I think before before somebody gets to that, even to that point, I think this is, you know, like any other relationship, even within friends, I mean, when you begin to take each other for granted, uh, that's when cracks begin to appear, you know, because you, you live in the same house, you live under the same roof, you know, and, and you think, you know, things, life can kind of, kind of overtake you. I mean, and it, you just kind of coexist uh, in the same house and you begin to take each other for granted. Uh, and I think that is what something that, you know, young marriages should work on and not take each other for granted. You know, I often, I often tell people, you know, Especially when they for their for their for their wedding mass, they choose the reading of Paul. You know, Paul has a description of love. He says, you know, love is patient, love is kind. I said, let me tell you very clearly. I said, let me let me paraphrase Paul's uh, description of love. I said, love in, in marriage, love is patient. Uh, maybe maybe for the first six months, or maybe even for the first nine months. Uh, after that, you begin to see that it's not so patient anymore. Uh, um, and that's when you really need to kind of like you know work at it. You know, it may be kind for the first three months. Um, then after that, you know, you begin to take each other for granted. You know, you expect things to to happen to happen. But I think that's where I think uh, to prevent those things from happening, and to be able to see uh, the reality that you know it 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 needs to be worked on. Uh, and I think that that's what marriage is all about. And it's tomorrow's tomorrow's first reading. You know, if tomorrow's the, the very first line of tomorrow's first reading, a perfect wife. Where is she? It's going to be there. Yeah. I mean, perfect husband. Where is he going to be? I mean, we'll never find a perfect one. Uh, mm. But yeah. yet, you know, to be able to 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 accept and to not take each other for granted, you know, uh, and not to get to that point when. But you know, a lot of times, I think for the James, the same like for us also, as priests. By the time we see couples who are having struggles, they've it's like gone way past a certain point, uh, and it's almost like sometimes. You know, at a point of no return. So sometimes it's a struggle for us as priests to try to talk to people who are wanting to take that 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 solution or that path. Yeah, but mm -hmm. to prevent that those things from happening. And so the the, the struggles seem quite uh, prevalent uh, these days. And you know, leading up to Amoris Laetitia, you know, the media was expecting the Pope to probably. Uh, make some changes about the Institute of Marriage in Catholic teaching. Father James, what actually did the Pope say? Well, I think he still stuck to the church teaching that the Christian marriage is between the man and woman, period. What he did do was he put that in a very broad context of the world of today. So there you put it in the context of migration of problems differences in the faith or the cult of the couple he made it very practical so 
I don't think it's a case of uh, changing marriage teaching or not in the Morris Letitia. It's more of widening the relevance and trying to incorporate the concrete situation of the family and the persons in the understanding of marriage. For example, we were hearing that um, Father Clarence mentioned about the perfect wife or the perfect husband. Pope Francis touches that. He talks about, it's a very interesting uh, understanding, disillusionment, disillusionment. And he said it's healthy when the husband or the wife arrives at a moment to realize that this other person will not fulfill me, that this other will not be that perfect other in the same way that I am not the perfect other for them. And that the only one who can fulfill their heart is God. And the only one who can fulfill my heart is God. So I like that uh, understanding because instead of the couple coming to the point of thinking, my goodness, this is not working, you're not fulfilling me. It's like the, to remind us of the, the God has to be present in each one of us because no one else can totally fulfill us. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. That's one of the things he underlines, this concept of not to be looking for the perfection in another, because in the end it can become very demanding of the other. Oh, my husband is not like this, not like that. And it can be very yeah, demanding and exacting of the other. Maybe they will never be able to fulfill that dimension of yourself. We have to find that fulfillment in God. And when the spouse starts to grow in that relationship with God, this also can be a good thing for the marriage also. The other thing just to add as a comment is that when we're talking about the instability of marriages, Pope Francis puts it in the bigger context of the throwaway culture, that it's not just instability in marriage and married relationships, but it's also instability in jobs, in commitment to anything in life. It's not so easy, it seems, in our world today to commit to anything. And he critiques a bit like the throwaway culture. I use, uh, I get the advantage of the thing i'm using sometimes i abuse and when i finished i throw it away it could be anything could be a person could be a commodity could be a task could be a job so we have to understand the challenge of marriage inside that bigger like societal or global context of the throwaway culture yeah and sometimes i suppose um, you know I, I don't know uh, decisions in uh, choosing your life partner your partner for life uh is not something that is uh, very easy and and so you know we see the amount of uh, divorces uh, these days uh, going up um, i suppose uh, a common question that uh, people always ask is uh, is divorce a sin is it is it a sin father Clarence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean the question here is, is no, we're not talking about what is sin or what is not sin. Sin is a very broad definition, and I don't want to take, don't want to go down that road. But I think it is not, it is not the perfect solution. Uh, sometimes, you know, these things happen. I mean, for example, uh, I mean, if you look at in, in the context of of an abusive marriage, uh, there may not be any other other solution. Uh, there may be only that that legal pathway that someone has to take. Uh, for the sake of self-protection, yeah. Even the Catechism of the Catholic Church puts it quite clearly uh, that you know, in such situations, you know, a separation may be recommended because it is to protect the individual. But you know, in in other circumstances, I believe that you know, people need to take 
responsible decisions at, and at the very beginning and not arrive uh, or to take that path uh, to the end uh, in the sense that, you know, prevention is better than cure. Okay, you ask the medical doctor afterwards, I mean, you, and he will tell you that, uh, that, you know, take steps to prevent uh, at arriving at that point, you know, and I think that's the most important thing. Uh, and not arriving there and asking now the question, you know, is it a sin or not a sin? I mean, we can have a whole discussion uh, afterwards about what that is. But how do we prevent people from coming to that point? Uh, and I think that... Yes, Fun I'd like to... Games, yeah. yeah, when we ask, is it a sin? I don't... For me, the question would be in relationships... Who of us can say that we didn't sin when a relationship doesn't work out? Sometimes in the things we've said, the things we have thought, the things we haven't said, the things we haven't done. So in leading up to, I don't, I'm not going to answer the question, is the divorce itself a sin? But who can say that when relationships break down, they didn't sin or they didn't contribute to the breakdown? So I think we have to be humble in that sense, all of us in terms of relationships the way we act, the way we don't act, the things we say, the tone we say, of course it has effects on others. The sacrament of reconciliation really can help us to be more conscious and to be more humble in that. But I also agree what Father Clarence said, and I was actually going to say those words myself. The prevention is better than cure. Sometimes the pastoral work of the church or the focus, it would be not healthy if it's only going to be focused on the divorce and nothing on prevention or working hard to overcome the issues. And I've been encouraged by some couples lately who had difficulties in the marriage uh, situation, and one of them really fell down. I'm not saying the other party didn't have anything to do with it, but it seems here that some of them did. For example, one couple I know, the husband was getting in touch with an ex-girlfriend on Facebook. So, I mean, when you play with fire, you're going to get your fingers burned. But instead of making that the reason or the point of split up, they had a good dialogue about it. Nothing actually happened worse than that. The mm. husband recognized this error, and now the couple are working to strengthen their relationship. So how much more I feel that is more the right thing to do than immediately to be signing like a divorce paper. Mm. And a healing between couples is uh, quite important for the Holy Father and, you know, um, when he came out with Amorius and he also uh, wanted to uh, uh, pastor and priest to handle uh, uh, annulments a bit more efficiently, you know, he wanted the person to, to heal, heal much more from the, from the issue that's, uh, the whatever that's come up from that. He seems to have a real uh, understanding about the challenges that uh, couples face uh, these days, you know, even though Amoris Laetitia were like four years ago, still today, these challenges are very pertinent and, and, and very real to most couples. We've uh, got uh, questions coming in already about uh, same-sex attraction. So, you know, um, maybe we can, we can before, go into before, that. Just before we go into that, I, I just want to, I mean, just to add on to what Father James and you both, Kevin, has said also. I, I think for me, uh, the, 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 the Chapter 8 of Amoris Laetitia is the challenging part, you know, uh, where it gets down to the practical details. You know, we can talk all about this, you know, uh, John Paul had Familiaris Consortio, now we have Amoris Laetitia, so we have all the theory, but I think Chapter 8, uh, Pope Francis opens uh, a new road for, for the church, for us pastors, you know, 
he talks about accompanying, accompanying people who are struggling. Uh, he talks about discernment. How do we respond? Because every every family, every couple is very different, you know. Uh, and and I think right at the end of this this whole document, uh, he he acknowledges that you know there isn't one solution that's going to fit the problems of the world. Uh, uh, so he talks about accompaniment. He talks about discernment. Uh, he also talks about integrating the weakness. I mean, the, the reality of, of that things like this do happen, you know, but how do we integrate them, you know? So sometimes people who are who have, who have no other choice but to take the path of, of being divorced, uh, they feel as though they are, that they are, they are excluded from the church. They are not excluded from the church, you know? Uh, there are ways to reconcile, you know? And I think you brought about annulment and other pathways. I think this is where I think we pastors have to discern uh, with uh, people who are struggling uh, to see how because the church is an instrument of healing, you know, like Father James was saying, you know, he continues the work of healing. The church is 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 the in instrument of healing, so it's not there to exclude people because they have take, made wrong choices or because they have fallen. But the church must be the place where they can find, you know, that they can come back to reconcile. And I think that last chapter is very important. Uh, for us as church, uh, for us as pastors, uh, to be able to accompany, to be able to discern, and to be able to integrate uh, people who have fallen, people who have maybe taken the wrong decision, uh, to be able to still feel that they can come to church and experience God. But sometimes the problem is the community. <laughs> the community sometimes exclude them, you know, not the church. So I think we really need to remember that the church does not exclude anyone. But sometimes, you know, you know how our communities are, you know, especially small communities, you know, in small towns, people become very judgy of each other. And, and that excludes people. I think that's really against Amoris Letizia, you know, that, you know. Yeah, and that's a good point you made, Father Clarence, about the, the judging. And I, I guess from uh, from the bits and pieces that I've been uh, reading, uh, Maurice Letizia, um, you know, uh, it's he wants to change the perspective of people judging other people, right? It's not not the issue itself, but you know, first of all, stop judging. You know, am, am I right in saying that, Father James? Part of the message of Amoris is to is to you know not to think like Father Clarence said. The church is a place where you can come. Where you should you should feel safe to come there. To ask for advice and get counsel but instead when the first thing uh, some people might think is that oh the church is going to judge me for doing this wrong you know i'm sinning and stuff like that he wanted a more open non-judgmental atmosphere in the church to understand that am i right in saying that for james well i think when we talk about uh, judgment we always remember the teaching of jesus do not judge and you'll not be judged do not condemn and you'll not be condemned so i think that that Pope Francis is just living out that commandment of the Lord that the judgment shouldn't be a condemnation. But I think the other thing we should understand is that Pope Francis in the document makes many judgments in the sense of a judgment call. We have a capacity to judge what is right and wrong and to guide and to help. So it's not when he says don't judge, I don't understand, don't judge to condemn. But we have to use our intellect to look at the situations of the world of today, and that's the teaching of the church. See, judge, act. It's to see, to look. for example, 
he looks at migration. So he's seeing the situation of migration. And then he's making a judgment. Sometimes we're so conditioned that judgment means condemnation. No, a judgment using the gift of the intellect to see what's best. So, for example, migration. In the Philippines, many families have the difficult reality of the one of the parents having to work overseas for economic reasons. More or less one-tenth of the Filipino population works overseas. And they do a wonderful work, especially in ships. Most of the seamen in the world are from Philippines. I expect many are from Malaysia also. And also in caregiving and nursing. So they really do an amazing task. But it puts a strain on the family because the family is left behind. The husband and wife they may have difficulties in terms of affectivity because they are separated. So then the Pope proposes concrete lines of action. So in summary, the clear message of the Pope is we should not be judging in the sense of condemning, but the sense of judgment we had to discern what is right and wrong, we have to utilize that to the maximum. Hmm. Just, uh, to add, just to add yeah. to that, one sentence, I always, I think any, any, a good principle for moral theology and for the James also, you know, the same area that I, I always believe that for every prohibition in the church, there's always a healing remedy in the church also. Uh, so, you know, so the church is, is, is the, is the place for healing yeah, in every, in every sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Coming yeah, back to your, Letitia, Pope Francis uses the expression of the field hospital. The field hospital is like a combat post right next to the front line. It's not set back. It's not the first base a long way away from the action and where everything's calm and collected and everything's clean. I mean, the field hospital is usually it's a tent. It's set up where the action is. It's ready to receive people from the heat of the battle and trying to patch up, mend wounds. So it's a very dynamic image of the church, not a church that's aseptic, everything is perfect and all of us have to enter in with the halo. Sometimes we like our spirituality. In fact, in the Morris Letitia, Pope Francis points out that the family is a way to mystical union with God. Sometimes this kind of language doesn't somehow ride well with us because we, we separate the reality of the family, the difficulties, the struggles, the ordinariness of daily life from holiness, mystical union with God, sainthood, as if it's something totally separated. But in the Morris Letitia, Pope Francis will point out that the family is the way of sanctification for the vast majority of the world of today, especially for the laity. Mm. Yeah, certainly that's true. And uh, Father James, uh, you, you mentioned something uh, which I wrote down, a judgment not for condemnation. Uh, then how does the church deal with persons with same-sex attraction without condemning, without condemning them? Yeah, this is, this uh, topic, of course, merits like a separate, entirely separate um, session in a way because it's a large topic. But what we can say is that the church understanding of a person with same-sex attraction, it doesn't tend to follow the labelings or the stereotype the labeling of the person like LGBT, LGBTQIA, because these are labels. And in general, labels are not always that healthy. The way the church tends to see the, such persons is, and the language it uses is more and more nowadays also is persons. So it's, you're, it's, my first identity is not I am lesbian or gay. Now my first identity actually is child of God. Let's not forget that. 
the sexual orientation is part of that, but it doesn't define me. I didn't start off my sharing with you saying, hi, I'm Father James and I'm heterosexual. I mean, it's not the most essential element of who I am. My first identity is child of God. So persons with same-sex attractions. And the church generally, of course, in the catechism is stated that these people need to be treated with compassion, with respect, and with sensitivity. And any unjust discrimination must be avoided. So there's some general pointers. That in Amoris Laetitia, it specifically addresses the issue of same-sex attraction in different moments. For Clarence? No, I, I think Father James has, has explained it well. And I think, you know, when Amoris Laetitia uh, was about to be, to be published, there were lots of people who were thinking that, that the institution of the marriage uh, will be changed, you know, right now in this context, you know, whether same-sex marriages would be allowed, uh, you know, people started talking, the media started giving everyone kind of a uh, false, you know, uh, uh, hype about well, how you know the church is going to change or is going to weaken its position but i think as father james says you know uh there's this whole the, the dynamics of of what marriage is what relationships are you know the foundation of it all i mean for us it's, it's very biblical also and you know, we go back to the very beginning to be able to see uh and but in that sense even in that context you know uh, as father james said uh it's not the labels that define us but it is the person that, that God embraces all. Yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to add to what Father James has beautifully explained already. Mm. That, that each individual uh, is primarily a child of God uh, and not what labels that define us. I mean, yeah. Also, it's interesting that Amoris Laetitia, because we're talking about marriage, Morris Letitia and Pope Francis in no way accepts the notion of same-sex marriage. He doesn't even agree with the, the terminology that for him it does not exist because for Pope Francis and the church teaching in general, marriage is between man and the woman, uh, period. So this marriage between man and the woman, there's a complementarity in all levels, uh, physical, spiritual, you could say uh, psycho, psychosexually, there's a, there's a complementarity between them there's a kind of fit between them that is just not present in same-sex relations so pope francis would never use the term actually same-sex marriage because for him marriage is between a man and a woman and in amoris Laetitia, they will say that you know same-sex unions you cannot equate them with marriage and it states that in different places um, in number 52 same-sex unions, for example, may not simply be equated with marriage. And in number 251, I don't want to spend my whole session quoting, but I think these numbers are very important. In number 251, as for proposals to place unions between homosexual persons on the same level as marriage, there are absolutely no grounds for considering homosexual unions to be in any way similar or even remotely analogous to God's plan for marriage and family. So it's very clear. While we have the compassion, sensitivity, and respect for same-sex attraction. And also remember, Amoris Laetitia is not the only document in the Catholic Church teaching. There are many other resources and places where you would look if you wanted to know what is the Catholic understanding 
of same-sex attraction. You have to go to other documents because this document is not a document about persons with same-sex attraction. You'd have to go to other sources and read the teaching of Amoris Laetitia in that broader context. I think that's where the confusion starts, you know, started with, with this, uh, this interview, this documentary uh, in this, this last month that we had. Uh, everybody you know, suddenly jumped in and overnight you woke up next morning and you saw on Facebook and other social media uh, channels, oh, Pope Francis now agrees to, to same-sex union. Uh, I think that was the clarification, you know. It was an interview of two different situations kind of put together. So, uh, and uh, Father James, you see, he hasn't changed. He hasn't changed his perspective about, you know, what marriage is all about. Uh, mm -hmm. It's about a yes. and woman. Yeah. But he was talking about a context about, about legal protection, how they need to be protected against discrimination uh, or, or, even, or, or even violence, you know, in, in some situations. Uh, that they need to be protected in those contexts. So, I, I don't think we can put both of them uh, on the same plate and and have a kind of a kind of an overview or even a, a very you know apply it to in, in every situation. But I think the context is very important. And what Father James says that you know we need to read you know the richness of of the church's documents to understand uh, in terms of what the church holds, what marriage, love, family, and other things too. Yeah, and, and what you said, Father Clarence, that the difficult portion of Amoris was the chapter 8. And, you know, most people just go straight to chapter 8. And without going through the further chapters is where uh, Pope Francis actually tries to set the table, you know, give a context. Before you go to chapter 8, you've got to read the rest of the chapters first. You know, you'll be just missing the whole point. But uh, just as we were talking on uh, same-sex attraction, you know, I know, uh, I think we've, we've got some comments uh, in, on our uh, Facebook about uh, child, how do, how do we bring up children in the culture of uh, you know where same sex attraction is is, is quite uh, wide and you know so uh, Father James probably uh, you know if you can give some tips uh, or some advice for parents uh, how do they uh, speak about same sex attraction to their children uh, or rather what should they say or where can they go to to get more help on this subject? Yes, of course it's. Um really a concern for parents and more and more this issue is going to be confronted i think there's two ways that you can respond to it one is i think the parents also as part of their catholic duty it would do well for them to be a little bit more formed in this area because there is a lot of misinformation about there we're mentioning the quotes or the clips of the documentary from pope francis so we know that the the, what Pope Francis is purported to have said, he didn't say it this year in the new documentary. In fact, it was taken from the 2019 documentary, three different parts of the documentary, which were in a specific context and a specific question was posed to him, and he was answering that. So the new documentary maker, he cut and pasted three quotes from last year and fused them together as if it's one quote. And then the media like ignites the storm and then many mums and dads are reading this. So I would say that we have to do a little bit of our homework here in the area of same-sex attraction. For example, to try to understand what might be the mechanisms or what might be some of the causative factors that makes, for example, a young male have attractions to the same sex. And the Catholic vision of the 
person, we call it anthropology, the vision of the person is important and it can help give us some answers because some of the factors may be, for example, for parents to make sure that the boy tends to have that strong identification with the father figure. The male needs another male to learn how to be a man. He also needs the woman. He needs the feminine context also. But primarily, he'll learn how to be male from a male, and the girl will learn how to be feminine from the mother figure. So that bond and that connection is very important that it can be healthy. Another factor which unfortunately may be a driving force in the later development of same-sex attractions is the reality of abuse by persons of the same sex. So what I would share to parents overall is that the first thing, they should be, and it would help to be a bit better informed about Catholic Church teaching on same-sex attraction. The second thing that can be helpful is there are some very useful groups within the Catholic Church that help persons pastorally with same-sex attraction. The first group is Courage. This is an international Catholic group, which is approved by the church, that is kind of uh, working with pastorally persons with same-sex attraction. And there's also a group for parents, for parents whose children may have or have same-sex attraction, and that group is called Encourage. Both of these uh, groups can be found on the internet. And they can be very useful resource materials. And I would just say to parents, be careful what resource material you are reading. Because there's quite a lot of non-Catholic material out there which has its own agenda, has its own ideology. And it may not be very formative to be reading the wrong material. Yes, being formed, Father Clarence, is uh, very important for... For all of us, you know, not to just take our our formation from the media or, or CNN or something. <laughs> yeah, as, as as you know, I mean, I mean, sometimes the media has got you know a certain agenda, uh, if I may use that word. And but the reality is sometimes people just people don't read the whole thing. You know, you, you just you know you know how headlines work. You know, headlines are meant to attract people to to read, but sometimes people just read the headlines and and make the conclusion. Uh, and then you don't get the whole picture actually of what it means. And I think that's that's the the thing is that you know to be informed, to be formed, that's very important. And I think it's very important for us. Not, I'm not just talking about family, but uh, you know, in terms of, but there's always the, the necessity for ongoing formation, uh, whether it's before marriage, whether it's immediately after marriage, or even down the line after many years. I think there needs to be a constant kind of an updating, forming. I think as 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 a, as a, as a priest, sometimes my this is my challenge in the parish. You know, uh, you get couples coming, uh, lining up to get married. Uh, they have to do the marriage preparation course. But if you want to get them for a post marriage program, uh, people are not interested. You know, I, I may be general over generalizing it, but sometimes you know people don't respond to these programs uh, and ongoing. So I think in terms of parenting, in terms of family life, uh, the church offers these things, and I think. People really need to be able to. Uh, I, I guess you know, no, no, nobody is prepared for 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 family life. You know, it's it's like an on-the-job training, isn't it? I mean, a lot of times there isn't a school of parenting. Uh, there, there isn't a school of family life that you could go to. But you know, you you learn as you go along, and sometimes you make mistakes, and sometimes those mistakes can be quite grave. Uh, but 
you know, if there is a support system, a support group, which Father James talks about, that is that exists already within the church. Uh, this is where you know that we can help protect the institution of marriage, the understanding of the church, and the church accompanies. And I think this is an important thing that I always insist. You know, the church wants to accompany you. You know, even when it's difficult for you. You know, don't 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 uh, you know stay away from the church. You know, uh, yeah. The I think I think the key word. I think Pope Francis has been using this word accompaniment, you know, in, in, in many of his documents, you know, uh, how do we accompany people? And I think that's what I think we all need to remember, that not just the church, as Father James said, the church, who is the church? We are the church. You know, it's not mm -hmm. you know, each one accompanying one another, supporting one another, uh, and the support structures are there for us to use within the church. And just to go back a little bit, um, Father James, you mentioned about um, the expectation of your partner, your spouse to be perfect, which is not uh, quite in line with reality. But I suppose uh, from a comment from uh, Anthony, uh, what's God's expectation of a marriage? Yeah, thank you, Anthony. I spotted your comment also. I, You're sharing that. Are we focusing a little bit on the negative? Some challenging areas we're touching because the Morris literature touches the challenging areas but we also mentioned about the family as the place of holiness for the vast majority of people their path of sanctity and to become saints is through the family so the ways of doing that, as we mentioned and they're mentioned in the Morris Letitia the prayer the sacraments so really the the families have to take the call to holiness seriously and I think that's part of what God expect what does God expect from the family holiness but not a holiness that this is one of the problems. When we think of holiness, we might think of halos. We might think of only the saints. And normally, I don't know quite the Catholic religious context in Malaysia. I've been maybe seven or eight times in the last seven or eight years, maybe once a year on mission trips, invited to some recollections, retreats. Here in the Philippines, sometimes the holiness is kind of just put on the priests and the nuns. And then the lay people, what's your role? Like Father Clarence said, very few people come for follow-up activities after the marriage. Sometimes the, to be lay is just, well, what does it mean? No, to lay around. So that's a little <laughs> joke there. Like, no, it's not to lay around. Who is called to be holy? Is it just the priest? So I think that the holiness has to come from the families. And I'll just share one modern understanding of the church about holiness in families. More and more in the church now, there are what are termed ecclesial families. An ecclesial family is your typical religious order. It's not a religious order only because religious order, again, is priests and nuns. The ecclesial family is where lay people are also integrated. And not in. And now you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know about that third order. No, please update. Third order also sometimes has remnants of historical, like the priests and the nuns of first order and the lay are less called to holiness no we all have the same order and call for holiness but in different states of life so the ecclesial families in the church they are new movements and communities where the lay people are integrated and they have a role and i'll just share a little <clears throat> in verbum day which is my order we have three branches so we have the sisters we have the priests and brothers and we have married couples and those married couples take part in our decisions of government, of planning the mission. So we have a married couples branch. 
And these married couples take their spirituality and their mission very seriously. So I think that what God expects from the family is a lot. That God expects the family to be holy. And I would say he also expects not always to make these categories between the priests and nuns and the lay people. But we are all church and we should all be working together. So what does he expect? Be holy. Just to add to what, what Father James said, you know, a lot of people don't remember. Uh, but, you know, one of the most common opening prayers for, for the, the sacrament of marriage and I don't remember the exact words, but it talks about how the marriage between husband and wife uh, is a reflection of God's love for his people. You know, mm. so that's the model. The sacrament of marriage is to be a reflection of God's love for his people. So going back to your earlier question, why marriages are indissoluble? Because God's love for his people, you 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 cannot separate that. It's eternal, it's everlasting. So it is a reflection. May not be an, a mirror image. I mean, as I said, as we have been talking, it may not be a, a mirror image, but that's the ideal. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, uh, to the question, what God expects. Yeah, I mean, to reflect his love uh, in a concrete and tangible way that marriage show that in the context of the family. So next time when you attend uh, a wedding in church, try to give, pay attention to that opening prayer, you know, and most often that's the one that is used uh, you know, how it reflects God's love for his people. Yeah, that's nice. Yes, in fact, uh, uh, ahead, after ahead, that, some, some modern, like, theological current would, would share that when we talk about Genesis 1.26, that man is made in the image and likeness of God, sometimes people also prefer to think of the couple as being that icon of the Trinity. Because the couple expresses something that the individual person doesn't. The couple expresses relationship. And God is relationship. The Trinity is relationship. So when you think of the family, it's like that living icon of the Trinity. So I like that image because it sets the bar high for the couples and families out there. And we're asking what God expects. You're called to be that icon of the Trinity. Yeah, and, and well... For us, uh, when we're being formed in the faith and going for the Catholic uh, marriage preparation course, uh, we do talk about a lot of how God is in is in the the family in the marriage. But what about uh, um, Father James? What about uh, marriages which uh, involve other faiths as well, or maybe other denominations? You know, um, how how do we uh, reconcile, or how do we keep God in that? Well, I think it's beautiful how yeah, love sometimes goes beyond our uh, sometimes categories. The, the, the love, you say love is blind or sometimes love is crazy. Sometimes you meet people who have these experiences of they come from one faith background or tradition. They meet someone else. And then, I mean, where love is, God is. I think that's quite a good uh, general principle. Where love is, God is. And we heard about First Corinthians 13, which is also developed in one chapter, chapter very beautifully by Pope Francis. What does it mean, love is patient? What does it mean, love is kind? And in the Morris Letitia, it gives specific advice about marriages between different faiths, different cults. In my pastoral practice, I haven't come across that at all in the Philippines because we are 90% Catholic. So... 
normally I've just met one Catholic boy falling in love with the Catholic girl. Maybe uh, Father Karras has a little bit more experience because of your specific faith context there in Malaysia, where I think it's only 3% Catholic. Yeah, I think this is something that we see quite quite uh, prevalent in, in our context. You know, uh, on an average, we say, uh, of course, there, there's, there's no exact figures, but at least from my own pastoral practice, I would say that almost, you know, 60% of the marriages that, that we have in our churches are somehow from different faiths or different traditions or even different Christian denominations. So it's becoming more and more uh, relevant to the, the discussion that we're having today that marriages are mixed, uh, whether different faiths or, or different Christian denominations. But I think, like what Father James says, where there's where there love, there is God. And I think, I mean, we, we know, we know that, you know, just because two people are Catholic does not mean that it's going to be a successful marriage either. You know, there are people who say that because there are people, who, I mean, people of different faiths or different traditions getting married. Of course, there's a bit more, there are different challenges, but you know, it calls for also mutual respect for each other's tradition uh, to be able to find a, a common a commonality. And I think what what all faiths teach is that you know it's about holiness. You know, it's about doing good. You know, and there is an element of of spirituality or something higher that everyone is called to. And I think that's where we learn how to adapt. We learn how to accept one another uh, without, you know, without without running down uh, the other the other person's faith. And I think that's that's already a recipe for disaster. You know, if you think that you know yours is better and theirs is not so good, that's already going to be a stress on the relationship. You know, I've, I've you know I've come across many situations when you know families are are, are in feuds because of 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 you know. The religion, uh, what what religion does the child take? You know, sometimes mm. you know, families are, are, you know, the couples are, are are quite okay. You know, so sometimes I think I think you have to make certain decisions. Whatever decisions you make, you you see them through. You know, I mean, just give you an example. Sometimes you know, I I, I meet couples who tell me, oh, now my father, when the child is twenty one, maybe then let him or her choose what religion he wants. You know. So I will jokingly say, oh, right, okay, then maybe you just wait till the child is 21 and you choose which school that he or she wants to go or which infant formula that he or she wants to drink at 21. Uh, in the meantime, you don't do anything about it. You can't. I mean, as parents, you make some decisions for your child, you know, and that includes religion and spirituality, you know, that you have to make those tough decisions. Uh, and sometimes it's to also to be able to respect one another in the decisions that we make. And I think families also need to learn how to support them. I think that's very important. Like I said, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, both are Catholics, the marriage will work. Marriage, family life is a hard work. It's hard work. Kevin, I'm sure you can attest to that. You know, it's, it's work in progress. You know, there isn't one thing that works. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I just take my cue from the Holy Family, you know, Joseph and Mary. And what I notice uh, is Joseph uh, never says much. <laughs> so, so I try to keep silent, you know. <laughs> but like Father Clarence, like what you said earlier, so the community needs to be more supportive. And usually um, the, the couple may have may have talked it out and, and, you know, worked out whatever problems they have in between. Uh, but the 
the outer relations, you know, uh, and we'll keep pressuring them and, you know, not, you know, probably influencing them or, or something like that. We should you know, be more supportive instead of just uh, coming down on the couple. Anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there are advantages and disadvantages of having an extended family, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we seem to be having uh, more comments coming into our uh, Facebook and YouTube, and uh, a common theme is uh, abusive relationship or abusive marriage. Uh, Sheena is asking, uh, "What's our stand on, and how does one go about it? Uh, abusive relationships and abusive marriage, uh, Father James. Uh, what can we learn from Morris to help us uh, address that?" Yes, in general, the church teaching on abusive relationships is that they shouldn't be tolerated. This would be a demand of justice. And sometimes people might mistakenly have some Bible reference. No, because when the Lord says when you're struck on one cheek, you should turn the other. But that's not the only moment that we should be referring to. Later on in the Passion, when Jesus was struck, he answered back and said, why, why did you strike me? So, you know, the Catholic teaching is not that we support and, and tolerate injustice, not at all. In fact, you have a right to defend yourself. You have the right to self-defense. So the abuse in the relationship, of course, it needs to be quantified somewhat. What type of abuse are we talking about? And there's different ways of abuse. It can be emotional. It could be uh, psychological. It could be physical. It could be sexual. In general, you know, the, there's... A very uh, low tolerance for any form of abuse because it goes against the dignity of the other person who's made in the image and likeness of God. And Pope Francis makes reference to abuse. He also talks about the abuse of children, which can happen in uh, families. So the teaching in Morris Letitia is just really adding on to the specific church teaching. But for example, in one in 241, he even says that in Respect for one's own dignity and the good of the children requires not giving in to excessive demands or preventing a grave injustice, violence or chronic ill treatment. And in these cases, separation can become inevitable. So to summarize that out of demands of justice, abuse should not be perpetrated and it should not be tolerated. And it depends on the extent. And it can reach the point where the separation would be inevitable and morally necessary. That's the words of Amor Satisha. It could be morally necessary, especially when you're removing a vulnerable spouse or protecting the children from danger. So I have to be clear about that. It's not just to be tolerating and sometimes you hear that some spouses tolerate an excessive amount of physical abuse and more and more in the world of today we are seeing generally not just in the Morris Letitia but a general worldwide trend that this is not the way an acceptable way to be treating another human being uh, maybe a follow-up is that grounds for annulment abusive marriages Well, I mean, Father Clarence? yeah, well, well, that's something that needs to be investigated. You know, uh, I mean, it's not so clear cut as to say that, you know, sometimes, you know, people in an abusive relationship may, may, I said may, uh, you know, may have, may have come out of, of a situation where they themselves witness, uh, you know, abuse in the family. And sometimes that kind of like, you know, predisposes you to a certain action. Uh, so sometimes I think this has to be investigated and, and you know, and to see how 
because a lot of times is that you know when you enter into marriage you know you you have to enter into freely and you you understand what the churches what the church ask of you what marriage uh, so that's something that you know you need to to establish also because we talk about annulment it, it is not it, it is not you know something that you are you are cancelling a marriage but it's going back to say that that marriage did not exist uh, from the very beginning because of certain conditions you know whether it was deception or whether it was a psychological problem or certain inefficiencies in the person you know so you are so so let's not mix up annulment with, with divorce maybe this is something that we could talk about uh, on another show uh, we could pick this up uh, because a lot of people think that you know why does the church now not allow divorce but annulment is, is allowed but there are two different things uh, and we don't equate them because you know it's because annulment is to say that you know a full complete marriage did not exist from the beginning even though they may have lived together for many years hmm. all right so uh, once again if you have any questions we um we might have some time left so you can just type it in the comments box and let us know but uh, you know father james as uh, we're talking about families uh, many families are fragmented today uh, again maybe uh, we can just go by how can the church be more inclusive uh, to accepting uh, a lot of these issues that we are facing in our culture today. Yeah, as I said, I mean, we are the church, so we can also ask how can we be more inclusive? How can we be more open? And in the Morris Letitia, Pope Francis is trying to be inclusive for many different groups. Uh, some groups that are affected by um, violence, war, migration this is also inclusive because maybe in my personal reality i'm not so affected by it but this is going on all around me or i can say it doesn't happen in my country yeah but to be catholic means to be universal it means to have a heart that's not just defined by my national boundary and it has the same color as my flag no that's nationalism but we are called to catholicism so catholic heart is a universal heart so i like the way that when he mentions other groups he makes us conscious and aware of the suffering of the families in the world of today. And doing that, I, I become more inclusive. So I think that's an important point. The inclusion starts with you and I um, to different groups. Um, he touches some difficult areas also. Um, for example, he touches areas like uh, human trafficking, prostitution. This also is very connected to family realities because the ones going to these, for example, prostituted women, they come from a family. The ones who are going there as customers come from a family. So he really touches a lot of, he talks about gender also, the confusion surrounding gender identity. So I think the document is helpful because although it may not pertain immediately to my family, my extended family, by giving us the situation of the families around, it kind of makes me more conscious, makes me more aware, makes me a little bit more sensitive and compassionate to the different realities. And in that, I think I'm becoming more inclusive. For Clarence? No, I, I think I think Father James has, has, has said, you know, I, I share similar thoughts uh, as what Father James is saying. Okay. So I guess we don't have uh, any more questions left. Uh, we shall bring this uh, to a close. Uh, before I give uh, Father Clarence the last word, uh, Father James, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, just maybe as kind of uh, put a bow on a summary of, of what we've been talking about, uh, how, should we, how should we see Amoris 
Letizia and uh, in view of uh, uh, what's happening in the world today? I think we should see it in the overall line of church teaching is just is one document in a stream of church, church teaching. So we always have to see the before and there'll be an after, not just to focus on one number in one chapter. This could be a little bit reductionist of the whole Catholic vision. That's one. We should welcome the broad vision it has. I think the aspect of accompaniment and being more pastorally open to the different situations of the family is very helpful, very helpful for us to get out of some maybe rigid, very, I would call them holy, holy categories, to hold on to the ideal of the family, but to be realistic. And lastly, just to maybe uh, clarify, we mentioned briefly about the civil unions overall. I was asked how I'd understand Pope Francis' attitude to the civil unions, LGBT, just to summarize, because it's also numerous Letitia. Um, the first is that for Pope Francis and for the church, marriage is between a man and a woman. That's the first. The second thing to state, especially after all the controversy, is that Pope Francis does not approve of the homosexual acts or relations, not in the least, especially of the acts. He's a strong critic of gender ideology, the idea that you can just choose your gender, and he mentions that in the Morris Letitia. And lastly, when he talks about the civil union, it was more in a specific context of Argentina at the time that was pushing strongly for same-sex marriage. And he was against that, and he was wanting to just give a little bit of weight to strengthening some legal protections around civil union. And I think that's also important because in some countries around the world, persons who are have same-sex attraction or homosexual do need uh, extra protection because the atmosphere may be a little bit more discriminatory. Thank you. Thank you for that, Father James. And uh, Father Clarence, uh, what's our takeaway from today's show? Uh, I think I think a couple of things, uh, Kevin. Uh, I think what Father James has mentioned is very important. Uh, firstly, is that I think, you know, we, we realize that there are many challenges. You know, what we grew up in the situation as, as family is not the same anymore. Uh, there are a lot more challenges. Uh, but I think what is important is to remember that, you know, the church welcomes anyone and everyone you know in whichever state you are in whether you are struggling whether you're flourishing you know the church is the place where you could come to seek consolation and solace and i think that's what uh pope francis also alludes to that you know you know don't stay away from the church so so my takeaway or at least what i would like to say to our viewers is that you know if you have families who are struggling you know and who are staying away from the church, encourage them to come back to church because it is there that, that you begin to feel, that you can begin to feel uh, God's love in a very powerful way. Sometimes we we kind of, we exclude ourselves because we think that, you know, we are not worthy uh, to go back to church because of what has happened in my life. And I think that's the last thing that should be in our minds. But, you know, look at it from a broader perspective. Who is worthy of God? None of us. I mean, not Father James, not myself, not any one of us, you know. We're not worthy of God's love, but yet God welcomes us uh, and God receives us. And I think sometimes I think it's important to to help people. I know there are situations, you know, uh, where sometimes we know a friend uh, who's going through a difficult difficult situation in their marriage. Sometimes we don't have all the answers. Sometimes I, as a priest, I don't have all the answers. But sometimes it is just for them to know that you know that they can turn to you 
that in, in their struggles and that you will not judge them for condemnation, but rather you are just there to hold their hands and to support them. And I think that's very important, you know, that whoever is struggling, whoever is going through difficulty, sometimes we just need to stand by them, you know. It doesn't necessarily mean you agree with what they are doing, but, you know, sometimes, you know, this is where the role of the conscience takes place. Sometimes people make difficult decisions based on the situation that they are in. And sometimes it's for us, you know, not to not to tell them, hey, my church says you can't do this, you can't do that. But sometimes it's just to be silent, to hold somebody's hand or to give a shoulder for somebody to cry on. And I think this is the image of the church that we need to give, you know. Not that we are weakening, not that, that we are backtracking in our teaching, but sometimes, you know, we don't have all the answers. Sometimes it's just there to be there for someone. And I think that's very important uh, with all these struggles, challenges that we're talking about. Right. Thank you very much for that, Father Clarence. You know, uh, a lot of enlightening uh, uh, words and phrases that we've used in our in our podcast today. You know, Father James reminding us we are the church and Father Clarence stressing on uh, the accompanying part of the church. And rightfully so, we have to be accompanying uh, those who are struggling on that journey. And don't forget, uh, in marriage and family, God is the mighty glue. Right, Father James? <laughs> Yes, the mighty bond. <laughs> oh, mighty bond. Oh, mighty bond. That's right. All right. So, um, thank you so much, uh, Father James. If we could have you say the closing prayer for our podcast today, that'll be great. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, Clarence and Kevin, for today. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of our families. Thank you for our mom and dad, our siblings, all our extended family. Thank you for the gift of being family in the church to give us that you know, bigger vision, this bigger heart that each one who's trying to do the will of God is my brother and sister. We pray for the those who attended today. Thank you for their interest. We pray for all the families in the world of today. We pray the church can really be there to help, to listen, to accompany, to befriend. We pray for persons with same-sex attraction, that they can find a support within the church. And we pray for each one of us, Lord, that through our lives we can continue to build up the family of the church in the world of today. Mother Mary, thank you for being our mother, the mother of the family of the church. We ask for the necessary graces we need to be faithful to what Jesus asks us. All this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Once again, thank you very much, Father James McTavish and Father Clarence Devadas uh, for our podcast uh, show today. Uh, you know, as expected, uh, this is a huge topic. We could uh, talk on and on about this. So I guess, Father James, you know, you'll have to come back <laughs> on our show. Uh -huh. uh, we've got more to talk about. And, you know, of course, we'd like to hear your vocation story once again. Uh, thank you very much. Stay safe in the Philippines. Uh, We'll be, you know, keeping you and uh, everyone in the Philippines in our prayers today. Father Clarence, thank you very much. And uh, for those of you watching, share this link out. Share this show. A lot of uh, uh, important points brought up by Father James and Father Clarence. So make sure you share this link out uh, to all your family and friends and let them know about Catholics at Home and all the topics that we've been uh, doing. And we'll see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, have a blessed weekend. And we'll see you in our next show. Bye-bye. <laughs>